0: There's a great old hymn that exhorts us to work for the night is coming. Remember that one? Work for the night is coming. And it's based on the words of the Lord Jesus. Where he said in John chapter 9 verse 4, We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day, night is coming, when no one can work. The idea is we don't know how long we have on this earth. And when Jesus said this, of course, he knew how long he had because he had to be in a particular place at a particular time and die on the cross at a particular time in fulfillment of God's plan for the ages and what Daniel said it would be. But Jesus, when he said this, he only had a few months to do the works of the Father. Then the night before Jesus went to the cross, you remember that he prayed in that high priestly prayer to the Father. He said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. And on the cross, he said what? It is finished. It is finished. Now, when Jesus said, in effect, work for the night is coming, most of the apostles had just a few years left. The Lord Lord gave the apostle John many years to complete the work he had called him to do, including, among other things, writing the gospel of John, writing three letters and the revelation of Jesus Christ, which the revelation uh, John wrote that he would have been in his 90s when he wrote that. But John's brother James only had a few months to do the work before Herod had him killed. In other words, none of us know how much time we really have left because death is always looming on the horizon. Do we have months, years maybe? We don't know. The idea, death is coming, so we need to get with it. While it is day, we must work the works of the Father and and so the Lord Jesus expressed an urgency for doing what he has called and gifted each one of us to do. There's an urgency, so, so get with it. Either death is coming or Jesus is coming. Don't waste your time. And I like the way that Chuck Swindoll put this into perspective. It goes something like this. No one gets up in the morning and plans on living a mediocre life. <laughs> right? But he says it happens to so many people. The proper motivation for doing the works of God that he has prepared for us before the foundation of the world is that night is coming. You know, I've talked about this before. One of the guys in our church, you know, he'd be out working hard and and, and he would tell the other guys, we're burning daylight. <laughs> you know, we've got to get it done. And somebody's looking at me and she knows exactly who I'm talking about. And I'm just not giving his name because we're on live TV here. <laughs> but anyway, but while John said work... For Or what Jesus said, in effect, work for the night is coming, and that's our proper motivation for doing the works of God. Our text in Romans chapter 13 that I read uses a different but related metaphor to give us another motivation for living the Christian life. It's not work for the night is coming, it's love, love others, love God, love others. Why? For the day is dawning. It's just the beginning of the day. Love for the day is dawning. Sure, death can come at any time. We must do the works of the Father. But we are to live, we are to love, we are to work, we are to serve, especially love as if it's a new day. Because it is. The fact that day is dawning is what motivates us to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. The fact that the day is dawning motivates us to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto God as a way of life. Why do we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Because the day is dawning. Why do we love our neighbors as ourselves? Because the day is dawning. And that's what we see in in Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. And I want you to look at two words Romans chapter 13, the 11th verse. The 11th verse. The New American Standard Bible says, reads, Do this. The ESV renders it besides this. Literally, it says, and this, and this. It's a conjunctive phrase that connects this verse back to another verse, what he has said before. Paul takes us back up to verse 8. Here's the connection to verse 11. It's in verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. And then he explains for two and a half verses what that means, but that's the main point. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. And then verse 11, and this. Or do this. That's the idea. Oh, nothing do I want except to love one another and do this. Do this what? Knowing the time. Knowing the time. Our motivation for loving one another is that we know the time. Our motivation for doing no wrong to one another is that we know the time. We're motivated by the time. Or we might say, know the times in which we live. What time? Here we see that it's the present time. And the time that we live in is not just negative. It's also positive. It's not about just about war and death and floods and tornadoes and pandemics and sins and politics. It's not just about spiritual darkness and the deeds of darkness and strife and jealousy and division and polarization and drunkenness and sexual promiscuity. The time in which we live is a positive. Verse 11 of Romans chapter 13, do this knowing the time that it's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. It's time to wake up. Verse 12, the night is almost gone and the day is near. That's why we must wake up. The day has dawned. You don't sleep in the day. I do sometimes, but not very often. People work at night, they have to sleep in the day. But you know what he means here. You sleep at night. You sleep at night. Verse 13 goes on. Let us behave properly as in the day. Let us behave properly as in the day. And then verse 12. The night is almost gone, the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness. The the day is dawning. He's saying, wake up, get dressed. And here he says, get dressed in what? The armor of light. In other words, don't wander around in your PJs all day, spiritually. (laughs) Dress for what you have to do that day. Dress. Now, next Sunday, we're going to look at the next couple of verses here and see what it means to get dressed spiritually. What does it mean to put on the armor of light? What does it mean to put on the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 14? What does it mean to clothe yourself with Christ? What does it mean to arm yourself with Christ? Never be without the covering of Christ. Or as one pastor put it, let your friendship with Christ be as close as your shirt on your back. But that's going to have to wait till next week. Verse 13. Let us behave properly as in the day. You can see that for Paul, the time in which we live is not just night. It's not just doom and gloom and darkness and sin and pandemic. For Paul, it's the dawn of a new day. So what's he talking about? Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians or over to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. In the fifth chapter of 1 Thessalonians, Paul uses the same language that he uses in Romans 13. It's very much a parallel verse. It's talking about the same thing, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 expands on it better, so we learn a lot from it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Now, as to the times and the epics, literally the times and the seasons there, the times in which we live, brethren, you have no need for anything to be written to you. In other words, the believers of Thessalonica were fully aware of the time in which they lived. They were fully aware. Paul says, you don't need for me to write anything about that. You don't need to be taught about this. And then notice what he says in verse 2. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. You know full well about this. Now, think this through with me for a minute. Paul only spent three Sabbaths in Thessalonica before a riot broke out, and he had to leave town. So everybody who came to Christ in that three, it was probably about two and a half weeks, just three Sabbaths, they were taught Paul had to leave town. And so everybody was a brand new Christian in this town where they were being persecuted, and Paul that all the teaching they got was three Sabbaths. You know, he probably taught them during the week, but that, that's not very far that long. That they were all babes in Christ. Brand new Christians. And so Paul sent Timothy back to them, and Timothy was sent to strengthen them and encourage them in the faith. But when Timothy got there, got back to Thessalonica, he essentially found a model church, an exemplar church. He discovered that the church in Thessalonica was an example to all the churches in Macedonia and Achaia. And we would say an example to all the churches in Idaho in the Northwest. You know, th- this church in Thessalonica, my question is, how did this young but exemplar church that had only been taught for three weeks know full well That the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It's very simple. They'd been taught this by the Apostle Paul and Timothy while they were there. They'd been taught early on. Pretty much the same time they received Christ. You see, in the early church, one of the first things you would learn after you received Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you would learn that he's coming again, that he's coming back. That was one of the first things the early church taught. So the Thessalonian Christians and the Roman church, for that matter, are fully aware of the time in which they live. They had been taught this. That's why Paul says in Romans 13, 11, you know the time. Every Christian was taught early on, early in their Christian life, that Christ was coming back to earth from heaven, and it could be soon. And it could be soon. And he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, this is going to take people off guard. The way a thief in the night takes people off guard. But not you, he says, not you Christians, you will not be taken off guard by this. Why not? He goes on in verse 4 to explain. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day, that is the day of the Lord, his coming, would overtake you like a thief. For you're all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. Isn't that great? We're not in the darkness. Even though we live in this very dark, gloomy time, we are sons of light and daughters of light and sons of day. But you, he says, brethren, are not in the darkness. By nature, in Christ, we're not darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world and the one who comes to me will, walk, will not walk in the darkness. Jesus said, you will have the light of life. You remember those wonderful words of our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 5? He said, You are the light of the world, so let your light shine among men so they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We're not in the darkness. We're not night people. We're not people of the night. We don't live in mental darkness. Why? We know the truth. We don't live in moral darkness. We know the truth. We live in a completely different sphere of life than those who are going to be caught by the day of the Lord and know the wrath of God. Sin has no dominion over us. We know gospel truth. We know sanctifying truth. We have the light in us, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We face no condemnation ever. We have risen, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, to walk in newness of life. We are a new creation, Second Corinthians five seventeen. Old things have passed away. The new, of, new has come. We are new creations, he says again in Ephesians 2, 10. We have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Colossians says our life is hidden with Christ in God and therefore our life is different. There's no need to fear condemnation. We have nothing to do with the darkness. We have everything to do with the light. We're day people. And so in verse 6, Paul goes on, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, since we are day people, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet and the hope of salvation. Let's behave as in the day. Let's put on the right clothing there again. Let's dress in this. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, when Paul talks about this time in which we live, he does not just think in negative terms. The night, the darkness, the evil, the death. Shot through with demonic influence. The God of this age who's in charge of everything and the world's systems. And and that's all true. Sin and death abound. Satan is the God of this age. But that's no longer the main truth at least for us as Christians. In Paul's mind, the day has dawned. You live in a very dark and sinful time, but that's not the reality for you as a Christian, not the main reality. The day has come, light has come, Christ has come. Christ is the Savior from this evil age and the blazing center of the age to come. You see, here, here, here's the problem. We live between the two comings of Christ, don't we? We live between his first coming, when God became flesh and he came into the world to die on the cross for our sins and all that kind of thing. And we live between that and his second coming. And so we live in an overlap between the age to come and the age that we're we're living in. We live in the age of righteousness, but we also live in the age of sin and darkness. We live in this gap. We live in the overlap. We live in the overlap between this mortal life and eternal life. We are justified, but we're what? Still sinners. And and that's the tension that we live in. And until the Lord returns, we're going to live in this constant tension, this constant conflict between these two ages. Are we going to conform to the world? in its systems, in its values, in its morals, or are we going to conform to the righteousness of Christ and the kingdom of God? You see, right at the heart of Christianity is the truth that when Jesus Christ came, the long-expected age to come arrived. The kingdom of God arrived. Eternal life arrived. One of my favorite things is ask people, when did you start living eternally? Is that going to start when you get to heaven? No, it started at the exact same moment you received Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's where you begin to live the eternal life. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, that the Old Testament events were written down for our instruction on whom the time of the ages, the end of the ages has come. Has come, past tense. And that the juncture between this age and the age to come, it has arrived Jesus said the kingdom of God is where? Within you. He said the kingdom of God has come upon you. We have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of the beloved son. And so the mystery of the kingdom of God is that the kingdom has arrived, but the age of sin and death did not cease. It did not cease. They overlap. And that's the time that Paul is talking about here. That's the time that Paul is referring to in Romans 13, 11, the time between the two comings of Christ, the time of the overlap between this age of sin and pain and death and the coming age of righteousness and joy and life. They overlap between the dominion of darkness and the kingdom of Christ. Why is there suffering in the world? People have written bunches of books about that. Why is there suffering in the world? Because we live in the overlap. Because we live in the overlap. Why is there a pandemic? Because we live in the overlap. Why do people die? We live in the overlap. Why can't human ingenuity fix anything? Because we live in the overlap. Why do I still struggle with sin? Because I live in the overlap. I am a new creation. I have a new nature. But I'm still encased of this body of death that Paul said, when will I be released from this. The flesh has still that propensity to sin, but one day Jesus will return and there's no more overlap. It's all the kingdom of God. So Paul says it's a time to wake up. It's a time to wake up. Verse 11 of Romans chapter 13. Do this knowing that the time that it's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep now salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. He's saying it's time to wake up, Christian, and the hour has come to, to, for being awake, not sleeping. Sleep is, sleeping is what lost people in this age are doing. They are sleepwalking. The Encyclopedia Britannica defines sleep as a state of inactivity with a loss of consciousness and a decrease in responsiveness to events taking place. People without Christ are asleep. In other words, they're unresponsive to Christ. They're, they're dead in their trespasses of sin, and so they have no consciousness to Christ or to God or to spiritual things. And the reason for that is because they are spiritually dead, dead in their trespasses and sin. But the call in Romans 13, 11 is not to the people lost in this age. They need life itself. They need salvation The call here is for believers to awaken from unconsciousness, unresponsiveness, and inactivity concerning the things of God. The Apostle Paul cried out to certain believers in Ephesians 5, verse 14, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He's not speaking to the unsaved. But to those, to those who are spiritually dead, we're speaking to genuine believers that we awake from lethargy and, and laziness spiritually, and that we make sure we don't appear as if we have no spiritual life in these times. And so in verse 13, or verse 11, chapter 13, Paul says to the believer, It's time for you to wake up. Why? Because salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. What does Paul mean that salvation is nearer to us than when we believed? Paul is not talking about our salvation in terms of justification. We are saved and justified the moment we believed, right? But our salvation will not be complete until Jesus returns or we go to be with him. You know, especially in terms of our sanctification. We will not be totally like Christ until we go to to see him. But there is a word of hope here. As the day is dawning as we wake up, because I think we all, I know we all, Paul groaned this way. We all groan under the incompleteness of our salvation. Our sins are forgiven, our guilt is already removed, we're we're already justified. Condemnation is gone, there's no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. But salvation is so much more than this. Salvation is being completely done with sin. Salvation is completely done with disease and pandemics. It's completely done with discouragement and depression. No more tears, no more pain. It's done with sinning. It's done with this earthly tent, as Paul says it, this earthly tent in which I dwell that is degenerating, is breaking up, it's, it's passing away. Because salvation is having that building not made with hands eternal in the heavens in which we will dwell. But most of all, salvation is being done with seeing Christ only in a mirror, dimly. Because then we will see him, what? Face to face. And Paul says, every day of your groaning life, you are getting closer and closer to the greatest thing of all, Jesus Christ. Our final salvation is Christ, and He's nearer every day. So Paul says in verse twelve, "The night is almost gone, and the day is near. The day is near. What day is He talking about here? The day is the day of the Lord. The day is the day when Jesus returns to this earth. That is the day. The day of the Lord is is near." Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 that we read, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. The day of the Lord. So what is the day of the Lord? In God's timetable, the day of the Lord is the last day, the final day of the last days. The day of the Lord will be the last day of the last days, as it were. We already live in the last days. Therefore, we are to live like we know that we live in the last days as believers, we are to live and work and love like, like we're living in the last days because we are. The last days begin when Jesus ascended the right hand of the Father, and they end when he returns. the day of the Lord. Now some say the last days begin at Pentecost because they see the the church age as being. The same as the, the last days when Pentecost, when God poured out his spirit, the church began. That was the beginning of the last days. Hey, we're only talking about 10 days between when Jesus ascended and when the Holy Spirit came. So I think we're, we're really in the whole time, tam- of, time frame of all creation. That there's no difference here. But we do live in the last days. And you really can't expect it to look any different than the last days. Because that's what it is. So how could Paul say the night is almost gone and the day is near? Hmm. Well, let me give you a couple of thoughts here, put it in perspective. You know, it's been 2,000 years since Paul wrote this. You know, how can he say that the day is near? Well, when did the night begin? When did the night begin? It began when Adam and Eve sinned, right? That's when it began. And how many years were there until Jesus came? I don't know, a few thousand, several thousand. I know it's not millions and millions like a lot of people say. (laughs) God created the earth, the heavens and the earth at a certain point. Adam and Eve at a certain point sinned. And and I don't know what that is. But Jesus came here. This is Christmas, as it were. And where are we now in this time frame? We're we're 2,000 years but if we put it on a graph and on a chart and took a good guess at this, you know, this, this, the last 2,000 years isn't very much. And then we put the Lord's perspective on it, the way that God looks at it. With the Lord, one day is like 1,000 years, and 1,000 years is like one day. In terms of the last days, we're just finishing up the second day of the last days. When we get to about uh, 2034 or 2033, somewhere right there, we can say, okay, two days are done. Two days are done, the way the Lord sees it. Why? Because the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So when the Lord, in his timing, and his plan, in his perfect time and perfect plan, Jesus came in the fullness of time, and the last day will come at the fullness of time in the same way. And no one knows the day or the hour of that day. Jesus told his disciples when they asked him about it. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone knows. Now, it's an interesting thing. They asked the same question when Jesus was on the mount getting ready to ascend. And they said, is this the time you're going to restore your kingdom? You know, and at that point, Jesus didn't say... Only the Father alone knows. He said, that's not for you to know. After his resurrection, Jesus knew the day. But in his humanness, when he emptied himself, he didn't know the day. Nobody knows. The point is not the exact timing of the day. The point is, every day, we come more, more, more and more one day closer to the coming of Jesus Christ. It's either he's going to come To take us, (laughs) or he's going to come at his second coming. You know, one way to look at it is, I was saved 63 years ago. Boy, how close is the day for me (laughs) compared to the rest of my life to going home to be with Jesus. But there's abundant evidence that there's not much time left, right? We see the signs. We're to know the signs. And throughout the New Testament, Christians are called to holy living. An anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ. And that should be the utmost incentive to live according to his will and for his glory. From the human perspective, it sometimes seems that the time, the night of man's depravity, with all the sin and death and pain, it's never going to end, and Satan's dominion over man is becoming stronger, and it seems unchangeable. The world as a whole is not becoming more godly, it's, it's going the other way. It's not becoming more peaceful and safe and secure, it's becoming more violent and violent. You know, I, I think it's interesting when you listen to politicians and they try to deal with other nations and they tell other nations, we're in the 20th century, we're past all that now, like man has arrived at some point. You know, we're, we, we've been at war for 20 years straight now. The longest war in the history of the United States with, in Afghanistan, you know, and we know that. We know the times in which we live. But the nighttime of world history will soon give way to the brilliance and the glory of the coming of Jesus Christ. And on that day, says the book of Revelation, loud voices in heaven will proclaim the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. Even so, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Shall we pray? Father, Maranatha, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Father, we we pray that your coming would be soon, Father. And it's not so that we have an escapism or those kind of things where we think, hey, we're getting out of here. This is going to be great, Father. But it's, the, but it's the knowledge that we have very little time to do your works. We have very little time to tell other people about Jesus Christ and to disciple them in the word and in faith, Father. We have very little time to love one another as you have loved us father father as we continue with this thought next week and we see how to clothe ourselves for the time in which we live father i i pray during that time and the next time father as we as uh, each one of us in our own time and our own devotions father you'll just keep in mind keep help us to keep in mind father the urgency of the times in which we live and we ask for this in jesus name Amen.